This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care in listening. Relationship Review with Dossie Martin. Welcome back. I'm really excited about today's episode as it's one I've been thinking about since I began the podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about the beginning. The episode's called Beginnings. This is why. We're talking about meeting our partners, dating. Some of you listening may be single and looking to date one day actively dating, in a new relationship, or maybe you've been together forever. No matter which of these categories you fall into, it's important to reflect on dating. For those who are about to date and those who are actively dating, it's important for us to explore our values, what we want in a partner, what qualities are important in a partner, and how to date safely. For those of us who've been in a relationship for a while, Remembering why we came together with our partner in the first place is vital in maintaining positive regard for our partners in times of difficulty. And it helps us to re-experience those intense feelings of love that happen early in the relationship. I'm gonna look at both of these things in my episode today. So I hope each of you can take something today with you. We'll have one look at a case study from someone who's dating. I'm also going to highlight some special dating populations like youth, older persons, and those in long-distance relationships. I've been told that my podcast is unique and appealing because I'm willing to be vulnerable and share parts of myself. I'm also cognizant of the fact that when I share about myself in a relationship, I'm also having the unintended effect of sharing about my husband. My experiences are my own to share, but his experiences are not mine to share. That's how I show respect for him. I'm going to talk about our relationship a bit in this dating episode, and I want to assure you that I have his permission to do so. I'm doing this not to say I have the perfect relationship. Mine is far from perfect. But I'm sharing my own experiences so you know that healthy dating is possible. So with that in mind, let's have a look at our first case study. We're going to start with Jamie, who's 30 years old, and she's dating again for the first time after divorcing her ex-husband, who she was with for 10 years. She's bisexual orientation and is a business owner slash professional with no children. She's perfectly fine with dating multiple individuals, but stresses that ultimately her goal is to find a partner to have a permanent relationship with. She's unsure how to meet a partner and how to go about dating someone as an adult. It's been a while since she's done it. So to begin, for those about to date, I freaking salute you because wow, what a complex and fun world you're about to enter. The first question we need to ask is not so much how to date someone, but how to find someone to date. This is a question that Jamie has for us and one that virtually every single person is asked at one point or another. Today, we have our classic options, dating a friend of a friend, meeting someone at work or while volunteering a blind date, or meeting someone at a bar or club. We also have our modern options, like online dating, and many different platforms within this. 
Our access to these options largely depend on where we live. Those who are physically or socially isolated will have fewer options to draw on and a smaller pool of potential suitors than those who are socially connected and live in a larger center. Meeting someone at work or volunteering seems to be one of the more accessible options, but poses some inherent awkwardness if things don't work out. Some people are hesitant to date people from work because they feel it's unprofessional or they want to leave work at work and not blend these two worlds. Both are valid reasons not to date someone this way. There are some professions when dating someone from work is particularly problematic, especially if there's a hierarchy of power within that profession and one partner is perceived as being more powerful professionally than the other. This perception of power in the work relationship can be very easily and unknowingly translated over into the romantic relationship. But for some, being in the same profession as someone can be challenging because you never truly leave work. As an example, I have a lot of acquaintances who are lawyers and they date other lawyers and they find themselves talking about law on their work days and then they come home and the main topic of discussion with their romantic partners is the law. This poses difficulty because one, you're always in that work mindset and work feeling and it's very difficult to truly relax with your partner if you're always in work mode, which is actually counter to the feelings that we need to build companionship. And two, the relationship can become competitive if one partner feels that the other partner is doing their shared profession incorrectly. For others though, dating within the profession works well because they have shared meaning one of the most important things needed in establishing healthy relationships. They have shared goals. They truly understand each other's daily experiences and how the difficulties of the job can impact you. As an example, I have friends who are both social workers and in a relationship. They do a really good job of taking care of each other's mental health, especially if one has had a particularly challenging workday because they understand from their experience how hard their workday actually is. These individuals just have to be very careful that they build their relationship on things other than work because a job is never a guarantee. A lot of people date others in their profession because they have an affinity for the same thing, shared values. We'll get into a discussion of shared values shortly. But as an example, both my husband and I, he's a teacher, I'm a social worker. We pair very well together in part because we're both helpers in helping professions. We have the same shared value of helping others. Meeting someone at a bar or a club is more accessible for those who live in larger centers. This is a valid way to meet someone, but it truly comes with a lot of difficulties. First, if one or both of you is intoxicated, it's really hard to get to know someone. The intoxicated person's skills at absorbing and processing information about you will be limited, and the person that they are presenting to you is really only one small version of them, aka the version that they show when they're intoxicated. Second, it's loud. Man, I sound like an old person right now, but look, and I'm going to go with it. Bars and clubs are annoyingly loud. Like how in the heck are you supposed to get to know someone if you can't hear them? I also don't sound sexy when I yell, and that's very counterproductive. We get some unfortunate messages from the media that people go to a bar, meet someone, dance with them, fall in love, give them their number, and then the perfect relationship starts. In reality, it doesn't work that way very often. For Jamie, her safest way to meet someone is 
through more traditional contexts, is likely work or volunteer, if she's willing to take the risks that we talked about before, or through a friend of a friend. I would invite her to explore her interests and seek out opportunities to meet people through those interests, like going to a local dog park, joining a recreational sports team, that sort of thing. I might also invite her to reach out to a trusted friend or family member and ask for suggestions of how to meet someone in her area of the world, if she, but only if she's comfortable with this. I'd also want Jamie and every other person listening out there to have a strong internalized definition of consent. It's really important and one that you can't really revisit enough. So here's a definition of consent that you can take with you. And I've kind of pieced this together through a lot of different research about different things. <clears throat> so here we go. Consent is mutual and agreed upon by all parties. Consent requires non-coerced agreement. Consent for one thing does not mean consent for all things. Maybe is not consent. Yes is consent. Consent should be ongoing. And you can renegotiate consent at any time. Finally, you don't get to change the consent agreement without informing the other party that the renegotiation needs to happen. That is not consent. In general, consent should feel secure and affirmative. I hope this works for you and I hope it makes sense. And of course, if I've forgotten to add anything to the consent definition, feel free to let me know by email or on a Facebook page. But more than anything though, I would actually recommend that Jamie avail herself to modern technology and do the online dating thing. I'm just going to put this out there. I'm really biased towards online dating because this is how I met my husband. I've had both good and bad experiences with online dating, so I can feel I can represent it in a relatively balanced way. Though please keep in mind, my representation of it is certainly not everyone's. Online dating is increasingly accessible with a large portion of the world's population having internet access, and it's more affordable with free internet dating options presenting themselves every day. There's tons of options online of online dating sites. They're specific to the needs of multiple populations. There's Christian dating, hookup dating, kinky dating, older adult dating, any kind of dating you can imagine. It's wonderful that there's so many options out there, but the pool of people within that site is only as large as the number of people that register for it. So for example, if there's a large number of Christian folks who want to date and they don't know that a particular dating site is running specifically for Christian folks, then there won't be a large pool of people who are on the site to select from. It's problematic and limiting, right? Therefore, although a lot of options in dating apps is good because it's inclusive, it becomes problematic when there's too many dating apps with small chunks of people spread throughout the app. Following me? Yeah. This becomes pro problematic for people in rural areas because they have a very small pool of people in their physical location, and they often have to travel distances to find new people to date. And there's undoubtedly still a bias toward more dominant relationship forms. I ran into this stigma when I was still dating. I'm bisexual. I was open to dating both men and women. And in my area, which was a small town at the time, most people used either plenty of fish or Tinder. And I wasn't willing to pay obscene subscription fees for a paid dating app. And I assumed the people in my area would be who would actually use a paid subscription would be small because I didn't know anyone who paid for a dating app. Tinder wasn't my jam because I wasn't in it for hookups. 
Hey, no judgment if you're in it for hookups. That's a totally valid relationship style. Plenty of fish had the real frustrating thing, though, that I could only choose to see either men or women in my relationship feed. To see both men and women, I had to have two different accounts, two different email addresses, because the app wouldn't populate both. It was kind of a pain, and it's common in other online dating apps. I know, hashtag first world problems, but it was an issue. I would caution Jamie on this as well, um, with her being bisexual, and recognize that with her and all other bisexual individuals, that we're a marginalized population in the online dating world. We're not the only one, but we're definitely one of them. But all of the challenges aside, online dating is a great way to meet people, provided that you're safe and you're responsible. So here's some tips that I would share. So one, in a study of online dating that I looked at, people looked at profiles that had multiple good quality pictures. This is highlights the importance of having a solid profile with pictures that represent who you are. The profile photo is the first part of yourself that you're showing your potential partner and what is going to get people to notice you. They need to notice the true you, though. So please don't doctor profile photos or present yourself as someone you aren't. It's creepy and it's weird and you, you really aren't doing yourself any favors. And it's really manipulative for people looking at your profile. I recommend either taking your own photos or having a friend take them when you look your best, when you feel your best, and you feel most like yourself. Use photos that represent you doing things that you love. If you love your pets, take a picture with them. If you play a sport, take a picture in your uniform. If you love fried chicken, take a freaking picture of you going to town on KFC. That's what I'm talking about. Talk to, number two, talk to lots of people of course, but don't give everything of yourself right away. Don't just message someone, hi, as your first exchange. Talk about something that you really liked about their profile or what stood out about them. Once you have their attention, ask them a real question, not just how are you, because you know the answer is going to end up being one word, fine, how are you, and it kind of goes back and forth in this hi, how are you rant for a while, you don't really get anywhere. A real question might be, what brought you to this site? Or in the case with my husband, his profile picture was him and his dog. And the first message I sent him was something along the lines of, oh my gosh, your dog is beautiful. What's his name? And what is his favorite treat? And do you tell him he's beautiful every day? <laughs> he tells him he's beautiful every day. <laughs> Those first few messages are what's gonna get a potential partner's attention and make you stand out from all the others that could be messaging them. Don't send nudes. Just just don't send nudes in your first message. It's creepy, it's not attractive. Just just don't don't do it. <laughs> Number three, talk to someone for a designated length of time before you meet them. For some, the length of time they need before meeting someone is short. They use the app to get someone's phone number, to get a physical date, to get to know them. I often joke with my husband that he was too slow to respond to my first message to him and I almost didn't pursue him. True story. This works for some, but can seem forward to those that need to go a little bit slower. Take as much time as you need before meeting someone for the first time. Ask lots of questions and show interest. A word of caution though, Talking to someone for a long time before meeting them doesn't guarantee the safety of your relationship. For example, when I was dating, I spoke with an individual for about a week before meeting them. 
They were very kind and polite online. But in person, after our date, I was in a position where I could have been sexually abused by them. Thankfully, it didn't happen. I got very lucky. So don't get me wrong. Online dating can be a, a very scary world because you truly don't know who's on the other end of the keyboard. But at the same time, you could meet someone just as risky by any of these other methods too. Risk alone should not be a reason to avoid online dating because there's some truly wonderful people out there. I married one. I look at online dating a lot like I look at finding a movie on Netflix. I end up starting a couple of truly crappy movies and turn them off because they really aren't for me. But I need to do this in order to find a truly amazing movie that maybe I'll purchase on DVD and keep for the rest of my life. If I resort to watching the same tired TV series over and over again, I'll be comfortable, sure, but there's no fire, there's no interest. It would also be kind of ridiculous for me to stop using Netflix entirely and go back to buying DVDs because I had a bad experience. Because there's so many new and exciting options out there waiting to be found. <laughs> I hope you're following me on my convoluted analogy. Finally, when you do meet someone for the first time, tell someone else it's happening. Before I met my husband for the first time, my friends stressed with me that I needed to tell at least two of them where I was going and to send an I'm okay text right after the date. At the time, I found it to be a bit annoying, I'll admit, but I also knew that it was because they loved me and they wanted me to be safe. There's an inherent risk in online dating, so I cannot stress enough the importance of this safety precaution, especially if you're female or a vulnerable individual. So you've chosen how you meet someone, when you have your potential pool of people, how do you get noticed or how are you going to choose who's of interest to you? Please keep in mind that when I'm making blanket statements here, this is based on studies that have shown a st statistical significance. But statistical significance does not mean this is the experience of everyone. And I know there's going to be exceptions to all of these rules. If you fall into any of these exceptions, my intention is not to ignore you or to invalidate your experiences. I'm just quoting what's the majority. Studies show when it comes to age, most adults choose people who are within a 10-year age range, and they're actually quite hesitant to date older. Generally, men prefer partners their age or a few years younger, and women prefer men who are their age or a few years older. What I really hated most was the following findings. Um, both men and women preferred better-looking partners, their definition of better-looking, but the importance placed on attractiveness was higher for men in this study. This was to the point where in the study, I looked at online dating users who described themselves as average looking. They were actually less likely to receive first messages than those who described themselves as above average. That same study also found that women with a high BMI, body mass index, were less likely to receive first messages than those with lower BMI. Men and women differed strongly in their preferences regarding BMI. Women with a higher BMI had a lower chance of receiving a first contact email. Women, on the other hand, preferred a man with a higher BMI. But when they looked into it more, this was actually um, a higher BMI in the chest area, with, men preferring, with women preferring men with a wider chest. Men tended to dislike a BMI that was higher than their own, and women tended to dislike a BMI that was lower than their own. The phenomena of appearance being essential in attraction is seen across cultures for both sexes, 
and for both long and short-term relationships. You can hear that I kind of fumbled through that, that last bit, and it's because giving these findings made me feel so uncomfortable, but I also felt like I couldn't shield you from them because these are peer-reviewed papers. So I think I need to give an explanation. And I think what I hated most about this was that I wanted to think better of the world, that we aren't just focused on appearance. It appears that we still are. I think that this is perpetuated by the fact that although we're moving toward a more liberal and open world, we still have an underlying bias in what is considered attractive. We also value people based on how they appear on the outside, when the value of a human is in their soul, who they are at their core. Do keep in mind that what's considered attractive is largely cultural and can be individual taste. This is enhanced by things like media, gender stereotypes, toxic masculinity, all of those things. I want to highlight that there's limitations to all these studies, and they tend to reflect the experience of the privileged majority rather than taking into account the mosaic of dating experiences out there. I think it's appropriate, though, for me to stress the importance of hygiene. If you take care of yourself and present to the world with a modest confidence, you'll attract the kind of people that you want. Good hygiene and cleanliness is very different from spending hundreds of dollars on hair, makeup, fancy clothes, all that stuff. It's important for us to put the work into taking care of ourselves in whatever way we feel is most representative of us and makes the most sense for us. My biggest fear today was giving you these findings um, and that you take them and feel like you can never be enough for someone. Not attractive enough. Not skinny enough. Not enough. I want you to know that you are enough as you are, if you love yourself. We never find ourselves as attractive to our mates as they find us. And there is someone out there who finds you to be their ideal representation of a partner. You are not just an arbitrary valuation that someone gives you based on your appearance. Please hear me when I say that. But here's some other findings from studies. This study. Women prefer men who are taller than them. Men prefer women who are shorter than them. Men preferred women who smiled in profile photos. And women preferred men who didn't smile in photos. Men and women prefer high-income partners over low-income partners, with this preference being stronger for women. Both men and women prefer a partner with a similar education level to them, but men show little preference for someone with a certain job over another. Women, on the other hand, were strongly influenced by the occupation of their partner. In the online study, single users tended to avoid divorced users, and divorced users tended to seek out other divorced users stressing the importance of being honest in your relationship status disclosure. People seeking long-term relationships generally preferred partners with the same long-term goals. There's a lot to know about your partner, what their needs and desires are, and how you can play a role in meeting them. The more you know about your partner, the better informed you are to make a decision if you want to stay with them long-term. There are two ways you can get to know these things. One, with time, you learn about your partner bit by bit and moment by moment, and in time, you understand them and you choose to commit to them. Or two, immediate intimate disclosure. The more that you disclose to one another early on in the relationship, the quicker some feel they're able to make a decision about commitment. This is why some people are able to know and commit to their loved one earlier on in the timeline of the relationship than others. 
They engage in a lot of self-disclosure, where for some, it takes time to learn everything. Both of these approaches are correct, but people who have quick relationships are often accused of making bad decisions or being too emotional and rushing into things. Shared goals are key in taking a relationship from casual to serious, and you can't know these goals unless your partner tells you them. One thing I really want to I really want to appreciate and share with you that I appreciated about my husband was that he was upfront right away with the fact that marriage was important to him. Children and family were important to him, and that his dog was one of the most important people in his life. That was okay with me. <laughs> I knew exactly where he was and what he wanted, and I knew that those values aligned perfectly with mine. He was worth further time. He felt that it was necessary to put these things out there because he didn't want to waste time with someone who didn't share his life goals. This is the right call and will help you get into that perfect relationship sooner. Confirmed by multiple sources that I studied, developing a close relationship while dating takes time. Interpersonal discovery and lots of shared experiences is essential to this process. This is interesting because in early dating relationships, you have a tendency to spend more time with your partner than your other loved ones. This upsets your loved ones because a new person has come into your life and suddenly you're spending all your time with them. But this is actually a necessary part of developing a relationship. I'm not saying that you should neglect your friends, definitely not. But we also need to give our loved ones some space to ignore, explore these new relationships without the pressure of us demanding their time or making them feel guilty for the time they spend with their new love. If our goal for our loved ones is to see them happy in long-term relationships, spending time with this potential person, whether we think that person is good for them or not, is the only way your loved one is going to be able to decide if they want to be in the relationship long-term. Intellectually, what we do to decide if we want to be with someone long is to weigh and balance where we look at the present rewards and costs of a relationship with our partner. We guess at what the future rewards and costs will be, and we decide if this is worth our investment in a long-term relationship. This is only the intellectual part of it, though. There's still the emotional side of things. This got me thinking, what if your head has nothing to do with it? What about your heart? This, of course, got me researching. Love at first sight. Okay, it's a phenomena that's actually been documented across cultures for thousands of years. In Western countries, every third person reports having experienced it. It's barely been investigated scientifically and has mostly been chalked up to poetic romance. The media portrays love at first sight as being the ideal way to fall in love, leaving those who don't experience such a thing feeling a bit put out. Is it possible that couples don't actually experience love at first sight, but instead project their current emotions about their partner on their, on their first meeting experience? Kind of like a hindsight bias? The study that I looked at found that love at first sight absolutely existed. Yeah, it existed. Men were most likely to report love at first sight. Those who said they experienced love at first sight never had those feelings reciprocated from their partners. Suggests that love at first sight is a very rare occurrence on its own and finding two people in a relationship that both experience it and truly experience it is even more rare. This doesn't mean that if you experience love at first sight that your relationship is doomed. In fact, 
those who report experiencing love at first sight in their relationships have strong positive memories from the early days of the relationship. This helps them to build a bank of positive regard and can make the future relationship stronger. But love at first sight does not equal the true and deep love that is experienced in relationships. In this study, people who experience love at first sight did not report deep emotional connection required for love that was reported by the same people in long-term relationships. Love at first sight can develop into a strong and loving relationship, yes, but on its own, it's actually not a true definition of love. One model of love shows that love consists of three elements, intimacy, passion, and commitment. Intimacy and emotional closeness evolve over time. Passion is that physical excitement and arousal for the other person, the erotic part of our relationship, which we're going to talk about developing in our Sexy Saturday this month. I'm so excited to get this out to you. The things that you do early on in a relationship will be the biggest predictor of if your relationship will be casual or close. The bonding journey that we undertake with our loved ones early in relationships involves recognizing and developing shared values. I spoke about this briefly when I talked about my husband telling me his values of family early on. So what is a value? A value is a person's principles, what someone judges as being important in life. Everyone's values are different. Some value work, others family, some love, others passion, some transparency, and others privacy. I hope you're getting me here. I invite you to explore your own values. What's important to you in your life? What principles are most important to help you do life? No matter how different two people in a relationship seem, the successful relationships have some underlying shared values. We have an internal life and we have an external life. The extent to which we allow someone into our internal life can determine the emotional closeness of a relationship. This highlights the importance of allowing yourself to be vulnerable with your partner even if it's only a small amount of vulnerability to start. It's scary to let someone in, and you don't have to let your partner in on everything, but you do need to let those walls down a little bit. People who approach the relationship from a point of curiosity about why their partner thinks and behave as they do actually fare better in relationships long-term. So they ask questions like, I wonder why they think this way. I wonder why they feel this way. I wonder why my human is the way that they are. <laughs> Going back to our case study, I would recommend that Jamie enter the dating world with an air of curiosity. She'll meet many folks and a whole lot of them are gonna be duds. Every dud that she's encounters shouldn't be an indicator of her success for future dates. And PS, every dud for her is gonna be a winner for someone else, I hope. There's a whole lot of people out there and you're not going to clip with all of them. <laughs> In fact, I would encourage her to explore her values before entering the dating world and be able to identify what values are important to her and what qualities of a future relationship she feels is important. She should know that her life goals ahead of time. In general, of course, not the exacts, not the broken down, itemized A to Z list. <laughs> and not to be shy in putting those goals out there to potential partners. 
It is okay for her to be cautious and keep a lot of herself to herself, but she'll need to extend some trust in order to meet someone new. When she's dating someone, she shouldn't be afraid to ask real questions, but it's also vital to play and be goofy with a partner because it's those mundane daily interactions and mundane conversations that really promote intimacy building. That's the end of our first episode. Join me in part two of Beginnings, where I have a special surprise at the end of the show that I hope pulls on your heartstrings. Thank you for listening. Thank you and take good care. Bye.